Data for the People, a Paris 21 Crisis Podcast. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Paris 21 Podcast, Data for the People. My name is Johannes Jütting and I'm excited to have today as our guest Ellen Atkeson, who is the Assistant Director General and Director of Partnership and Innovation at the Swedish International Development Agency, SIDA. Ellen joins us from Stockholm today. Ellen is also a gifted singer, songwriter and guitarist. So in addition to provide us with insights about how SIDA, the Swedish aid agency, adapted to the coronavirus crisis and what it meant for himself and also talking about data and statistics and the role of data and statistics in managing the crisis, but also to provide us a way out of the crisis, we will hear throughout the podcast music by Ellen. So please enjoy this very special podcast and welcome to Ellen. These are times of trouble. These are times of toil and tears. And you were once a beacon now you're torn by doubts and fears Ellen, let me start with a question about um, yourself and how the pandemic the global outbreak of COVID-19 affected you personally and in particular how did you manage to on the one hand your professional obligation and on the other hand the private life Well, Johannes, it's a bit of a, a, a almost surreal experience, I think, uh, for all of us around the world. In my personal case, on the one hand, I, I go to work every day, either physically or virtually, and immerse myself in the emerging picture of great troubles and problems emerging around our world in the wake of COVID-19 uh, or in the midst of COVID-19. That's, of course, affecting our partner countries in the developing world greatly also affecting issues like democracy and the ability of civil society organizations to operate, um, the well-being of women, both politically and in their own homes. All of these things, on the one hand, are definitely getting worse as a result of COVID-19 at the moment. Uh, on the other hand, in the process of my own society here in Sweden, I still go into the office pretty regularly, but I do it by riding my bike to a ferry boat, sitting outside on the deck so that I'm not in any kind of enclosure with any other people. And then I'm almost alone, except for maybe two or three other people on an entirely large floor here. And then I cycle back. My own quality of life has, I wouldn't say it has improved, but it's changed in ways that aren't necessarily bad. So I'm working harder than ever. All of us are here at CEDA. We're working more hours than usual uh, to adjust to the reality. But at the same time, um, I'm, I'm biking a lot more than I would ever have biked, so I'm in better shape than I've been in a few years. So it's an odd, it's an odd experience, I have to say, thinking a lot about how other people are suffering in the, in the wake of this disaster, but not experiencing that suffering myself personally, I have to admit. So I'm very grateful then for the work of statisticians and for the data and indicators that I receive that, that tell me uh, what's going on among, along with the human stories. I, mean, I think it was George Bernard Shaw who said that the sign of a truly educated person was to be deeply moved by statistics. 
I think he meant that ironically, but I, but I also take a little bit at face value that without that data, we wouldn't know the extent to which COVID-19 is affecting people around the world. The uh, very different experience that we all have with uh, also the formal or not formal lockdown. Um, I happened to talk to a couple of colleagues in the Philippines, for instance, who were not allowed at all to go out of the house except at certain days for one person at a certain time to buy some food. So that, that's quite interesting of how we as a, as a whole community adjust to this new situation. Today, there is an interesting essay in the Financial Times making the point that now in Sweden, there's a conversation uh, about the relative particular Swedish case, as they say, uh, largely avoiding a formal lockdown. I would be interested, what's your take? Do you think that this decision by the government not to go for a more coercive lockdown, was that driven by data and statistics? Well, it wouldn't, wasn't driven by data and statistics. It was informed, of course, by, by data, by modeling, and also very much by the expertise of our public health agency. I refrain from having a strong opinion about whether we took the right course or not, uh, because as I think our own epidemiologists have said, it's impossible even for them to know. And it depends on how you assess it. We, we know that um, some of the stories that the data is telling us about the Swedish uh, path are, are a bit different from our Nordic neighbors, but we've all become you know, armchair epidemiologists listening to the news and reading every day. Small differences in the, in the starting conditions of this kind of complex pandemic can have big differences uh, farther down the line. So it's very difficult to compare what's happened in Sweden with what's happened in other countries, for example. Sweden has ended up in the international spotlight often, but, uh, but I, as, um, both as a Swede and as a government official, feel a lot of confidence that you know, my colleagues in the, the public health agency have been doing their best to balance and make balanced decisions across a broad range of factors that they're trying to take into consideration. Let me move on, Ellen, to pick up on a point that you mentioned uh, in the beginning, just in terms of the impact on the developing world at large and on poor people. And you said you were very deeply concerned. It might be still too early to say what will be the long-lasting impact, but it's for sure that there will be eventually even tectonic shifts uh, if you look, for instance, at migrants going back home. And it's not entirely clear if they at all will at some point return back to the cities just as one example that we, we can eventually see. So I was just wondering, as you lead uh, the work on partnership and innovation at CEDA, uh, how do you, and I think many bilateral agencies are now looking at, through their work at, as, as their partners, how to change and adjust eventually? Sure. Um, and of course, we are adjusting quite significantly to the, the situation, or rather we're, we're helping our partners. We've been assisting those processes in adjusting to, to COVID-19. At the same time, Johannes, it's important to note that, that we at CEDA, with uh, direction from the, the Swedish government, are, are continuing to also maintain our focus on long-term development goals. So we have you know, absolutely responded to the calls, the humanitarian calls. We're keeping a close eye on the emerging humanitarian crises but we're also uh, keeping a close eye, shall we say, on 
long-term development issues uh, because those aren't going away. And in fact, uh, the strengthening institutions and their ability to uh, support the, the, the development of societies with things like, for example, um, good, strong statistical agencies that can provide solid data for, as a basis for evidence for decision-making, it becomes even more important in the wake of, of, of COVID-19 and recovering. We are doing a few things differently. Um, I signed a decision, for example, a couple of weeks ago uh, about a, an initiative that we're doing in partnership with IDRC, the, the Canadian institution, to invest in the development of artificial intelligence systems uh, in Africa through a, um, a competitive funding process that will in turn, who and, and, and that fund was significantly increased uh, in, in order to create a special COVID-19 fund uh, to understand uh, what the virus is, is doing um, at a social and economic level, as well as in the in health dimension in Africa. So that's an example of what we're doing. We're continuing to support the development of, of crucial institutions, helping civil society organizations keep active, research processes, uh, responding to the humanitarian crisis, uh, and, and looking for ways to combine those needs in longer-term uh, development programs as well. I think that in, in, the, in the longer run, the arrival of this pandemic is going to uh, help underscore the value of official statistics and the value of official statistical agencies because of the need for unbiased and um, reliable data. I think that one of the things that we tend to confuse is data for policy making versus data for decision making. And lots of people need data for decision making and, and, and they get it from wherever they can get it. Very often, even, even at the level of fairly high organizational leadership, uh, the, the basis for decision-making, the evidence basis, the data, is um, found with a few, you know, internet search clicks, basically, and, and um, not always uh, a tremendous amount of thought around who was collecting that data, with what biases, uh, with what methodologies, where, where they were coming from, basically. Uh, whereas decisions that affect whole populations, that affect large-scale economic development and social development decisions have to be made on the basis of the most reliable data you can find, and which still, by and large, with notable exceptions, is to be found coming out of our official statistical agencies around the world. Here's a song that's meant to warn you or enlighten you or both. It's a little complicated, but you really need to note there's a dangerous phenomenon. I swear to you, I know that there's trouble in this world from all the exponential growth. Exponential growth. Oh, exponential growth. Yes, there's trouble in this world. It's a, it's a, it's a projection based on, on statistical evidence that um, GDPs are going to be falling in the next year or two. They are falling. Uh, and, uh, for example, here in Sweden, our overseas development aid budget is pegged to our gross national income. So it's likely that that budget will be a bit smaller next year than it is this year. That will be true for many other sources of funding uh, for the developing world statistical agencies. I should say that when it comes to optimism, it's something that I believe that, that all of us who work in 
leadership positions in um, fields related to sustainable development uh, have have something of a of a duty to embrace. We don't make progress without optimism, and all of us trying to take action for a better world need to be optimists. At the same time, we need to be informed by the reality of what's happening. And I think that um, it's possibly an optimist in the long term, even if one is realistic about the, the likely development of trends in the near term. We have seen some signs that some parts of the, of the economy are recovering quicker than was expected when they do get the chance to start recovering. But other sectors are, are going to be permanently changed or at least long-term, uh, long-term transformed by, by what's happened with COVID-19 in ways that none of us can predict yet. We're still in the middle of a process that is not just a health crisis, not just a socioeconomic crisis, but a transformative event for the whole of humankind. So looking forward is something we're do, trying to do quite a lot here at CEDA, absolutely. The SDGs, the 2030 Agenda, remain a very important North Star. Um, one of the initiatives we're funding is with the UN Secretary General and his Global Init- uh, Investors for Sustainable Development Initiative, a platform that's bringing private sector leaders from the largest investment and pension funds uh, in the world together to highlight the, the need for mobilizing new resources to advance the 2030 Agenda and the SDGs or to help them help bounce back onto track uh, with those things. So we're looking at that very carefully and we're uh, and, we're, and we're going to keep looking at that for a year or two while we continue to balance the humanitarian needs as we were talking about earlier. But to say exactly how we're going to continue to adjust is very hard now. Uh, and that's, that's going to depend partly on new development. It's going to depend partly on the data that is generated out of official, official sources with fairly good short time horizons uh, that will help inform us as we take a look into the future. So we will continue to basically work a little extra hard on on paying attention to the picture of emerging needs. There are certain key things that we're going to keep focusing on. Gender equality, uh, for example, climate change, conflict, and of course the core issues around poverty uh, and human rights. Those perspectives will continue to inform everything that we do. And so we'll continue to pay extra special attention to the trends that are happening, both short-term and long-term. So I wish I could tell you, Johannes, that we had... uh, here at CETA, some kind of crystal ball where we knew exactly what, what to do, but we don't. We rely on that big mix of evidence that, uh, that we all rely on, uh, including that produced by our uh, very valued colleagues in the national statistical agencies. Thank you very much, Alan, for providing us with this interesting overview of how the Swedish Aid Corporation is adjusting its policies to the COVID crisis. It was very good to hear that you continue to focus on sustainable development, you continue to focus on combating climate change and poverty in, in its extreme forms. This is very important, in particular, if we move to recovery policies in countries hopefully soon. It was also encouraging to hear your support for national statistical offices who can provide the evidence for the right policies at the right time and that needs to be strengthened at a time where they are also squeezed by the COVID crisis. So thank you very much for this. This was a great podcast with lots of exciting music and I do hope we all hear us again in the near future. You want to put the train on some new track, track. And this tragedy before they start the last act. 